You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. And welcome to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. And if you guys need a special battery, whether it's a regular battery or uh, something special that's very rare and hard to find, stop by your local Interstate Battery retail location and talk with a battery expert. These guys are very knowledgeable in the products that they sell and they can get you what you want, when you want it, whether it's a truck battery, whether it's a special battery for like a rangefinder or trail camera batteries, any type of battery, these guys are able to get it for you. So stop into a uh, interstate battery retail location, talk with a specialist, or if you want to learn about the culture, the company of interstate batteries, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate batteries, outrageously dependable. That's what I call pro talk. When you really don't know the answer, you just make it up. My rut is that I am in a rut. get the pilot of Red Arrow going. There's really a way to skip class. I want to say, hey, those boys right there entertain us. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said on this podcast. Alex Rutledge here with American Roots Outdoors TV. Hey, this is Lee and Tiffany Lukaski from the Crest TV. Hi, I'm Don Higgins. This is Jeff Lindsay. Hey, everybody, this is Mark Dury with Dury Outdoors. Hey, this is Craig Fitz with Train Assassins TV. You're listening to Dave and JP on Pro Talk Outdoors, the craziest two I know. Hey everybody, welcome back to Pro Talk Outdoors, and uh, we're, we're here to do a turkey season recap, and uh, quite frankly, it was pretty eventful in more ways than one, and uh, we don't really feel the need to have a pro on today just because this thing got so darn crazy this year, and, and Dave, you kind of opened the season up with craziness. <laughs> yeah, you could, uh, you could definitely say that. It's... Uh... Very eventful season. We we had a little bit of everything go on. I mean, we had our uh, share of successes and and failures. And uh, boy, I tell you what, yeah, talking about opening day in Kentucky, and you know that in itself that was a big fiasco. It was, you know, with this uh, COVID nineteen deal rolling in, and uh, I think Nebraska was the first state that that kind of kicked off the uh, no non residents allowed and. And uh, you, you and I, we saw the writing on the wall 
ahead of time that, you know, we, we better make sure we've got our turkey tags because if we don't, this thing may get shut down. And, and you, you know, you're proactive. I think, would you get yours in like January or something <laughs> or as soon as they went on sale? Well, I would like to take credit for that compliment and, and say that I saw the writing on the wall with the, with the virus, but truly – you know me and anybody that listens to this show is probably gathered. I, I, I'm just a big ball of energy and enthusiasm. And about the time I got excited about getting into the turkey fever again, I said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and, and buy my tag because it will make me feel good and make me feel like I'm already chasing birds. So it, it really had nothing to do with buying the virus. And, and, yes, it was. It was January. Yeah, so, but you know, myself, I was like, yeah, you know, season's about, uh, I don't know, I think it was maybe three weeks away or something like that, and I was like, I'm getting my tags because it's still available, and went ahead and purchased those, uh, you know, the non-resident hunting license and the tags for the year, and, and man, I'm telling you, it was like the next day they shut down the sales, and and then it was like, I don't know if it was like uh, every day or if it was every uh you know, once a week or whatever, but it, periodically we were getting emails and text messages and, you know, basically saying, uh, yeah, they give me a few options. One option is you could just get a full refund back for your license. Another option is you can use that for next year's license. And then the third option is, hey, if you want to hunt still, you can, but you got to quarantine for two weeks. Yep. Which is no big deal because that's what we were doing anyway. We were quarantining anyway, you know. So I'm like, well, I'm hunting, you know. It's, uh, you know, no big deal. And um, so we went, we went on with our our hunt. You know, we went over and uh, listened for birds one morning, and 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 heard a group of birds. But like typical, they they came from, you know, all all the gobbling we heard was pretty much on the neighbor's property, and that's pretty much where the birds stay all the time. Yeah, um, but you know, we we came up with a game plan and went ahead and set up our blind, um, you know, in uh, in our clover plot, something that we had a deadly dozen last year, a real world deadly dozen, and we we went in frost seeded it, and made it clover, and so the clover was just starting to really sprout and emerge. Um, we felt like that was co- probably going to be our best opportunity to call a bird up there, and uh, you know, opening day rolls in and. Uh, I was uh, I was the shooter and you were filming and um, already made my mind up. You know, if I saw Jake, you know, it's a two bird state. So if I saw Jake, I was going to shoot a Jake. I uh, we, we like to shoot Jakes, or I do anyway. You know, I <laughs> I shoot Jakes all the time. Um, but you know, I was rolling in uh, no gobbles off the roost. I mean, we were here next to nothing anywhere in our vicinity. And we came up with a game plan. What was it? Nine o'clock. We decided it was. We'll, we'll get really loud and aggressive with the calling. Yeah. And if at nine o'clock we do that and we have no response, we were going to go run and gun for them. We we're going to go back a little bit deeper in the timber and see if we could get a bird around that way. But. It was snack time, is is what I like to call it. And right around the time you you gave the uh, the classic Dave Barrett fighting purrs. I decided, okay, I'm going to go ahead and have my snack just in case something happens here, and then we can hit the road. And, and that's really when the craziness truly begun. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I after uh, after I did the fighting purrs, um, yeah, I did, I did a really uh, aggressive hen yelp and uh, ran right into the fighting purrs and, you know, paused for 30, I don't know what it was, 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, whatever, and – no gobble, and I thought, well, okay. 
so I literally reach in my bag and I pull out this uh, this uh, camo netting that I brought so we could kind of cover the uh, you know the tripod up for for the cameraman and and go out in the woods after him and still be somewhat concealed. And I, you know, we're, we're sitting there, kind of. Uh, I think you're eating your dirt bar. Yep. Yep. And uh, I was kind of throwing that uh, netting over the the tripod saying yeah i guess this will work we can kind of hold it like this and i don't remember exactly what you said but it was like uh, uh dave look up and uh sure enough i look up and there's four nice jakes just emerge at the end of the, the uh, clover plot and man they just started working right into the setup and they were they were in such a tight ball that there was no way i could get a shot you know i just i couldn't and uh you know, we went into kill mode there, and, and I think I was talking to you, but you didn't hear me because you'd already plugged in your earplugs. And I am I think I said it probably four times, hey, you on them, you on them, you on them. And uh, finally I looked over, and you got your earplugs in, so I'm like tapping you and saying, hey, you good? <laughs> um, but you were good, and, I, and I, I think I basically was talking to myself when I said, okay, when one separates, I'm going to take a shot. Um. Well, they got in tight. I mean, they got in pretty close, and one did separate. And in typical Dave Barrett fashion, I missed. Um, and then they they kind of scattered. Um, three birds went to the left, one to the right, and I'm left-handed, and I'm looking through my uh, my red dot scope. And I, I go to the bird to the right. I pull up, and uh, you know, I got him in the uh, in the scope, and he's he's centered in there well. And I squeeze a shot off, and unbeknownst to me, as I am shooting, one of the birds that went to the, the group to the left had kind of veered off to the right. And I'll be damned if I didn't have two birds with one shot uh, right he, there on opening day in Kentucky. He zigged when he should have zagged, basically. Yeah. And, uh, boy, did he, he sent us on an adventure. I mean, it was one of those things where... You know, I'm not going to lie and say that I didn't have a hundred different thoughts running through my head because, you know, it's it's just when you when you do something like that, and, and I guess we should clarify, it is a two-bird state. You have two tags, but it's one a day. Mm-hmm. So I clearly had, had unwillingly, unknowingly... Um, inadvertently i guess is the best word i had broken the law and it was decision time and you know what do you do you know i mean and uh all i kept thinking was i have to do the right thing i didn't realize doing the right thing was so hard but it turned out to be very difficult and it's a shame, and, and here's the thing. People are going to listen to this, and at first I think they're going to commend you for doing the right thing, and, and honestly I think there's a lot of folks out there, unfortunately, that probably wouldn't have. But the the saddest part of the story is that doing a right, a right thing there turned out to be uh, pretty pretty ruthless on behalf of the, the state employees there. I mean, they, they made you wish you hadn't done the right thing in, in some facets. And I'm, I'm not going to take your thunder there, but I, I want to preface this by uh, I, I hate the phrase Ranger Rick. I, I never have liked it. I think conservation officers do a great thing all across this country. But uh, apparently it is true that you can run into one every once in a while that maybe crosses the line a little bit. 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, uh, I, I told you, I said, look, go ahead and, and sit in the blind and continue your hunt, self-film it, do the best you can. Maybe a bird will come in. I don't know. And, and I'm going to go up here and tend to my situation. So, um, first thing I did was I went to the, uh, the tip line, the, the turning a poacher line. I didn't know what else to do. So I, I call that and, uh, first get a busy signal. Then I get a, if you're calling to report this, you need to contact this number. I called the other number, no answer. So I called, you know, we're hunting in Carroll County, Kentucky. That's where our, our uh, farm is at there. So I called the Car- Carroll County Sheriff's Department. And I said, look, I need to uh, report a game violation. And who do I need to do? You know, who, who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to, to, to talk to to do that? And she said, well, sir, you're going to have to call the Kentucky State Police. So I called the Kentucky State Police. And from speaking to the Kentucky State Police, uh, I gave them, all they took was my name and number and asked if it was an emergency. And I said, I wouldn't deem it an emergency, but I do need to speak to someone as soon as possible. The issue at hand being that the temperature was rising, it was getting a little warmer. And by this time, uh, it was probably an hour after I'd shot the birds. And I, I felt like I needed to get them taken care of, dressed, whatever it is that, that the conservation officer was going to allow me to do. I needed to take care of those birds. So it was uh, one phone call, wait 30, 45 minutes, no call back, call again. On the fourth call, I felt like I was being a real pestilence and a nuisance to the Kentucky State Police. So I just said, ma'am, look, I know you have more important things to tend to, but here's the situation. I shot two turkeys. I don't want the meat to go bad. I need to speak to someone to see what I can and can't do with them. I'm calling to turn myself in. You know, I, I accidentally shot two birds. So... She told me, oh, I understand, and I'm going to have somebody call you. So about 20 minutes go by, and an officer calls me from a different county. He, I think he was from Owen County, and which is a good bit south, at least an hour, hour and a half drive south of where we were at. And nice fella. Um, don't remember his name, and I won't mention it on air even if I did have it. But uh, nice fella, and he... <clears throat> He talked to me and was going to come up, and when he was on his way up, just before he got there, he had an active case. Uh, he instructed me to, that I was able to go ahead and leave and get some ice and process the birds, so I did it in the field. Uh, got them all processed up and put in a cooler on ice, and then the wait began. It was, uh, gosh, I want to say... Going on about 3 o'clock by that time, and some different officers called at 3 p.m. and asked if uh, I was still on site, and I said, yeah, I'm just waiting. And they said they were on their way out. So an hour later, we get up to 4 p.m., and these two officers show up, and when they show up, boy, were we just given the right act. I mean, very, very cruel um, treatment. I uh, and I don't want to say anything negative about conservation officers because I know they probably deal with uh, some some rough issues that we don't know about. But Lord have mercy when you got somebody that killed a turkey accidentally at 9 a.m. and 
self-reports and waits till 4 p.m. for you to come out and give them a ticket or see the scene or look at the video footage to confirm that it was an accident and both birds were killed in one shot and not two, I sure didn't expect the treatment we got. No, and the, the treatment we received really should have been reserved for people that were caught red-handed or, you know, it, were, were trying to get away with something or were pulled over, reported by, you know, a neighbor. It, it should not have been that way. Really, and I hate to say this, I don't want to say that you should have been rewarded, but you should have gotten some accolade for doing the right thing. Uh, as difficult as it may have felt, waiting all of that time especially because anxiety you know you and I are wired very similar in that way that you know we're anxious we're ready to get things over with when we're wrong we want to call ourselves on the carpet correct it and move on but uh you know that was that was a really long wait just to be treated the way that we were uh it's, it's just it's unfortunate and you know you mentioned the the footage and if they had wanted to see that they didn't even want to see it you offered they had no interest in seeing it and, I mean, I easily could have vouched that, listen, you know, he's lucky to hit a turkey on the first shot, let alone hit two with one shot. So it, <laughs> it certainly wasn't intentional, and he'll, I'm sh- sure he'll probably never do it again. You know, uh, it, it, I don't know. I, I hate to say anything negative about conservation officers or, or state employees like that, but it was, uh, it was as negative an experience I think we could have had. Yeah, absolutely, and, uh, you know, I got a kick out of it, you know, where where he, and we both know, we both have the emails and the text messages, and we we both were notified of the way you could hunt and the way you couldn't hunt, and the first thing out of his mouth was, y'all from Indiana? Yes, sir. Well, what are you even doing here? I mean, why are you even here? You shouldn't be here. You're not allowed in our state. My governor re- re- uh, released a statement saying that you're not to hunt. And I think that's when you kind of chimed in a little bit. Well, sir, actually, um, that's not what it said exactly. And we're going to explain ourselves of what we read and the notification that we got. And he cut us off right away. I mean, he cut us off and said, it's for essential people only, and you're not working. And that's when I said, well, sir, actually, we are working because we have a show and we have sponsors and and we put out content. And, and along with that, we do get paid. So it's work. And uh, so we're working. And, and his next line, just it, it, looking back on it, it's funny as it can be. And I, I'll laugh at this for many, many years, I'm sure. And he said, you all got a show? Y'all shoot Jake's? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir, we do. <laughs> oh man. Now, <laughs> you it really is funny now looking back on it and I, I don't remember which one of us said that on the drive home. Looking back, you know, we'll we'll find part of this is funny and and that's the part of it that is. Uh the, I don't think the treatment will ever be funny, but you know, you you actually had to endure an even longer wait after that day, I mean, it, they spent 20 minutes writing the ticket, and, and he was very demonstrative and loud when reporting the ticket to make sure we heard that part of the violation he was reporting is that we were out of staters. But then, once the ticket was handed to you, you had to wait what almost two weeks, really, to find out what the cost was going to be and if there was any sort of suspension or anything of the sort. 
Yeah, and I guess that that was the worst part of it. it was those two weeks there. Uh, I mean, it, it really had me, in a manner of speaking, questioning everything that I did. I mean, everything that, uh, and, and as bad as I hate to say this, it made me wonder, man, should I have just cut that turkey up and went on home? You know, because, and, and it's really sad that, that it forces someone that, was really compelled to do the right thing and call and self-report this violation, it forces them to have those questions in their mind because I'll tell you, the statute that they wrote me up for, and it reads no less than a $100 fine, no more than a $1,000 fine, could be six months to a year in jail, and it guarantees you a loss of hunting privileges for a period of no more than three years, but no less than one. So I had to wait two weeks knowing that I don't know what what exactly this is going to be. I mean, it, it, it falls anywhere in that range. Um, and fortunately, after speaking with, uh, and I've got to give complete kudos to the county clerk's office there at Carroll County, Kentucky. I don't know who that lady was, but she was a saint and she was kind and, and dealt with me very respectfully, and the end result of it is uh, a $213 fine and no loss of hunting privileges. So I, I accept that, and, I, and I'm okay with that. I, uh, I feel like that's fair, you know, but the part of it that wasn't fair was, the I guess, the lack of respect in the way we were treated uh, in the whole situation. And really, there was only one person that did that, and that's the... Uh, Groucho Marks, y'all shoot Turkey, y'all shoot Jake's fella. Uh, and I won't mention his name, but boy, if you're around Carroll County, Kentucky, you probably had to deal with him. Yeah, and it's it's a shame that you ever had to have a thought that maybe you'd have been better off not doing the right thing because really when you do the right thing, you should be filled with an overwhelming sense of uh, achievement. You know, any any time, anything in life, not just in the outdoors. You just, you know, when you do the right, good thing, you, you should be filled with good feelings. And unfortunately, you know, it, it, it took a little while for that to set in for you. But ultimately, you know, you, you still did the right thing and, and made it through and no loss of privilege. So that's uh, that's the main thing. And You know, man, I mean, your season stayed pretty interesting from there. I mean, you, you spent uh, a couple, well, more than that, weeks away from Kentucky because you were almost – kind of in purgatory there where you didn't know if you should even try to cross the line to go with me over there to hunt. And uh, I, I completely understood that. And I, I didn't go back for nearly two weeks. I mean, I, I stayed away for a week and a half before I finally went over there. So it's. Uh, you you had your share of adventures in Indiana, though, shortly thereafter. Uh, <laughs> yes. Usually there's a usually there's a, more of a period of time in between the Kentucky opener and the Indiana opener than, than what we had this year. But this year it was a situation where Kentucky opened on one Saturday and the following Wednesday we're hunting in Indiana. And, um, you know, you, you took off of work so you could go. And and uh, I went to uh, film you. And, man, we had a had a pretty interesting morning there, didn't we? Well, there's a ton of birds on the Indiana farm that, that I'm actually about to move on to and build a house on later this year. Uh, very fortunate to have been hunting it for uh, several years now. And, man, I'm blessed with a ton of birds. It doesn't hunt deer well at all. It's one of the worst <laughs> properties you could pick for that. But as far as birds go, it's surrounded. Now, it's not the property that holds them, but it it's 
the hallway. You know, it's the hallway between the 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 bedroom and the the garage or something like that. I mean, it, it's a very commonly used area. So we had plenty of birds to hunt. I think no less than twelve birds were gobbling that morning, and it was it was action packed for a while. And I think about eight fifteen or so, these birds that had gobbled and flown down about 200 yards away, sort of worked around this finger and, and came a lot closer to the property line to us and uh, just got it into a hole in the the foliage there where it could see the decoys. And you were calling for me and did an absolutely great job of keeping that bird interested. But it, it saw the gobbler we had out there as a decoy and just hammered one time, went full strut, and then just broke off in a run. And we pretty well knew at that point that he was he was coming in. And he was only about 80 yards away at that time, but he didn't have a direct line to get to us. He had to sort of make like an L pattern to even get through the woods and, and get to the field where we were. And, man, he, he came running in less than two minutes later. And, and just the way the field dipped, we didn't see him until he was much closer to us than what would have been ideal. And uh, – I, I reached down and clicked on the GoPro, and you were running the, the main camera. I got everything ready, and I pull up, and as soon as he's really in range, you said, I'm on him, I'm on him, take him, you know. So I go to fire, and I, I use the same scope that you use. And, man, he was squared up. He was right in my, my circle. And I squeeze the trigger off, and he's just scared, and he takes flight. And so... Something's not right. I, I go ahead and fire another shot at him in the air, which I've gotten lucky and, and killed a turkey out of the air before. Uh, no repeat this time. And I couldn't for the life of me figure out what the heck went wrong. I mean, it was a 25, maybe 30-yard shot, and uh, you couldn't have asked for a, a better setup there the way that he had run in. And uh, essentially what had happened is I didn't take into account that the scope on a gun is, you know, two inches higher than what the center of the barrel is. And when I raised up and squared up, I cleared the sight from the lower edge of the blind uh, in, in the opening, but I did not clear the barrel. And apparently, uh, science will show you that that's pretty darn bad for a turkey pattern. <laughs> oh, man, but that's not all that was screwed up with that deal. I mean, that was uh, screwed up from the get-go. That bird come in so fast uh I, I've never done this before, and I hope I never do it again, but when I hit the record button, it didn't start recording. You know, I'm using a Verizoom on that camera, and uh, so I'm on him the whole time, and I'm like, man, this is great stuff, and I go back, and I get your reaction, and then as soon as you're done with your reaction, I hit the record button to stop, and then that red light comes on, and I'm like, oh, crap, did I just do that? And I, I didn't have the camera recording the whole time. <laughs> well, it's funny. The other night, uh, the the wife and I, we were watching uh, The Last Dance. Great sports documentary on Michael Jordan and, it, and it, how much he hates failure, his own personal failure, how much he absolutely hated it. And one of the best compliments I think I've ever received is my wife said, you are just like him in that you hate to fail. And, and you just the look on your face when you fail and your body language and how you react and, and how strongly you want to right all of your wrongs immediately. Like you just want to correct anything you've ever messed up and you want to correct it right away. And uh, I, I thought that was a tremendous compliment because I, I, I admire Michael Jordan and his drive for that. But you got to experience again firsthand. And, and I, I haven't 
screwed up all that many times when I've been with you, but that one was the worst one, and I really had a hard time for the next two hours dealing with uh, messing that up when it felt tailor-made, and, and, and you even had the audacity to say, well, man, I'm glad you missed because I double-clicked record. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, all that's trying to bring uh, bring a little light to the situation. Cause, man, we, we were in a dark time right there. That was that was kind of a dark place, you know, coming off of that debacle on opening day in Kentucky and and then opening up the Indiana opener like that, man. It just uh, – uh, it was a little rough. It, it was. And, and, you know, and, and my rough times continued the very next day. Um, I think it was the next day. It was. Uh, Eric – yeah, Eric was was uh, going to go hunting, and he was he was going to go and film me. And I was like, "No, man, you you don't get that many days off. Um, I, I'll film you." So we went to a different Indiana property, and quite honestly, had never turkey hunted this before. It's a new property we got this year, and I knew there were birds there, but I didn't know where they'd be roosted or anything. So we kind of start going in a little bit late, you know. We um, we start slipping our way uh, our way back into uh, the edge of the woods there from the field, and we're just going to listen. And man, this bird gobbled so early; he just gobbled, and we was right above us. And I'm like, "Oh, we're screwed." And there was a couple different birds that gobbled right there within 50 yards of where we were at. I'm like, Dude, "We are screwed right now." So we actually, we just kind of slipped, and we were making some noise, but we backed out off of it a little bit and set up on the edge of the woods that, you know, maybe maybe 75 yards away from where this bird was roosted, but he kept on gobbling. And um, we had hens flying right over top of us. It was just kind of a crazy deal. We got right in on them. Uh, but giving a little sweet, soft talking, and, uh, and this bird flew down out of the roost right there in our lap. I mean, he flew down in range, and uh, Eric gave him a big old whiff on that one, too. He missed him, and uh, it, uh, I thought, man, am I ever going to be able to get this monkey off my back? It's just like, misses follow me. I mean, I, I miss, and people with me miss. It's just, I know other people miss, because it just happens, but Boy, it seems like we do more than our fair share of it. I uh, it, it, it does. In a in a rut is quite appropriate. And uh, I fast forward a week later, and we've both gone through a lot of grinds. We've essentially been hunting every day at that point for a week, and uh, I'd had a little bit of a, a, a mishap in the personal life. Kind of ran my truck into something, and was kind of ticked at myself for for screwing that up. And I went into an evening hunt. And I thought, man, I'm just, I really, I'm feeling really down and out about myself and this season. And I was talking to you, and, and you were Mr. Positive, and I appreciated that. Uh, and you said, man, it's going to turn around for you. You are going to find a way. You, you know, you, you, you tend to luck into things or figure it out or, or something. Good things tend to happen to you, so just keep pushing. So uh, I go into that afternoon hunt, and it was a last-minute deal. I, I really hadn't planned on going, and I got home from work a little early, and I thought, man, I'm – I'm going to go ahead and slide out there. And it was a cloudy day. Nothing nothing really told me, you know what, this is going to be a great hunt. And I went out there, and I hadn't been there very long, and I had a, a gobble pretty quickly. And I thought, okay, you know, maybe this is this is going to be good stuff. And I got the bird to gobble back and forth a couple times, and, and you don't have that that often in the afternoon where we're from. And then he just shut up. And I thought, man, here we go again. This is just completely 
completely going the wrong direction. And I had no more action for an hour and a half, and it came to about 7.15 in the evening. And I kept hearing some rustling over to the right. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm about to sneak out of here and go have dinner. I'm, I'm done. But I kept hearing this rustling. And I'm in the same blind, the same setup that I'd screwed up in the week before. And next thing you know, these two deer pop out into my my deadly dozen food plot and browse around for a second. And they start wrapping around the backside of this surround view blind. And uh, I'd, I'd had a dirt bar for a snack. And I was I was feeling a little gassy, okay? I got to admit it. <laughs> I, I wonder if you're going to share that part. I was feeling a little <laughs> gassy. And, you know, I'm sitting there by myself. I need some entertainment. And the beauty of the surround view blind by Double Bowl is you can see out but your game, your prey, cannot see in. And uh, these deer were coming around behind me, and I still had a great view of them. And I'm like, you know what? That deer is literally no more than 60 feet from me. I wonder how it's going to react if I cut the cheese really loud. You know, I want to see. This is an experiment. So I just rip a real knocker, you know. I mean, I absolutely, (laughs) I let them have it. And this doe just about jumped out of her skin. I mean, I absolutely believe that she would have juked J.J. Uh, Watt right out of his shoes if he was trying to tackle her. I mean, she looked like Barry Sanders out there. And, and I had a good little laugh out of it, and I thought, you know what, this hunt was absolutely worth it. I'm going to sit here another 10 minutes and start gathering my stuff up, and after these deer move on, I'm going to slip out. Well, about the time the deer are moving on into the other woodlot, I hear another rustle. And it's four jakes come from right behind me, walk the same path those deer had just walked. And I knew that as soon as they cleared the blind, they would see the hen decoy that I had out. I had made a decision that afternoon to not put a strutter out. Something told me, listen, it's the afternoon. Aggressive behavior's over for the day. You have nothing to gain and everything to lose by putting a male bird out. So I just put the hen, and it was a feeder hen. And, man, it worked. Uh, I don't make too many good decisions, but that one was a good one. And so as soon as they went past the blind, the first two jakes turned, and they saw that hen and got curious. And I really had no intentions of shooting a jake. They went up, and the first two just were basically sniffing her booty and, and started spinning her. They kept beaking her in the tail, and they made the decoy spin. And uh, much like a, a bass that gets a reaction strike, you know, just kind of gets antagonized, I said, man, that's a legal bird, and they are putting on an absolute show here at 20 yards away, less than that maybe, maybe 15. So I had the camera on him. I squared up, and as soon as one Jake was free, I let him have it. And and I, I didn't feel bad about it. I know it's not a mature bird, but it was a good-sized Jake. It was uh, probably one of the bigger Jakes I'd ever seen in the field before, and I felt great about it to get the monkey off my back. What you know that that it did good things because it opened up a uh, flurry of uh, of good hunts for all of us, and you didn't stop there. You went uh, next day. You went to Kentucky, and it was another one. It was a second day in a row. I'd gotten out of my last meetings pretty early, and I got home and I thought, gee whiz, you know, I'm I'm kind of riding high after getting off my my bad luck streak yesterday. I, I wonder if I should just pack up and go. And you want to talk about a cloudy, like weird day? I mean, there had been a considerable amount of rainfall the night before and the morning of. And uh, I went ahead and I I drove over to Kentucky. And that was the first time either one of us had been there since your incident. So, you know, this is nearly two weeks later. And I thought, you know what, let's let's go ahead and try it. And I get there and I get set up. And I hadn't been in the blind 
it was less than five minutes. I had actually just loaded the gun and, and started turning the camera on to get the zoom ready, and I heard a gobble 100 yards away at most, maybe 125. And I thought, holy cow, I know exactly where that bird is. It's right there on the neighbor close to the property line. And I called to him, and he immediately answered. And I, it wasn't just one answer. It was one answer, second answer, third answer, fourth answer, and he shut up. And 60 seconds later, maybe, two minutes at most, he had cut the distance in half and started hollering back, wanting to know where I was. So I'm in full-on scramble mode at this point. Okay, get your Zoom ready, get everything ready, because this is about to happen. And I started texting you, hey, dude, listen, I just got here, and it's about to happen already. And then the next hour and a half, I played cat and mouse, chess, checkers, whatever complicated game you want to think of with this same gobbler as he just did basically a J-hook around me for 90 minutes. He would get within what felt like 40 or 50 yards just inside woods on three sides of me, and he would go the other way. And he went back to the place he started no less than two times and eventually ended up to my left through a, a thin patch of woods on the other property line. Uh, it couldn't have been more than 30 yards, and he's just absolutely hammering. And at this point, I, I've resorted to just very soft, you know, purrs. And, and it was a windy day, and I had to wait for the wind to die down, so I knew when to purr, but I had to do it just loud enough based on where I thought he was. And anyway, that very last purr I did apparently just struck a chord with him. And he came on through, and he didn't come directly at me. He kind of went at an angle and ended up popping out about 40, 45 yards downrange. And I wasn't messing around. I, I spent an hour and a half calling this guy in. I've screwed up a couple times already, once, once in the turkey woods and, and once behind the wheel. I, I thought, you know what? I'm going to let this bird have it right away. And as soon as he popped into the field, the camera was already on where he needed to be. I didn't even bother zooming in. And uh, made a good shot and, and, and took him down. And I could tell it was a big, mature gobbler. Uh, one, because of how he acted. And two, because of how he looked. And uh, you, fortunately, met me to, to take pictures there in Indiana. And uh, we were kind of surprised at the size. Uh, 27 pounds, which I didn't, I didn't know how big that really was at the time. I know you haven't killed a, a ton of birds. But I'll tell you, man, uh, that was an absolute freaking tank of a bird um i've um i've killed 30 turkeys uh in my life i've been a part of several other hunts were successful uh that were successful i've seen numerous numerous birds go down and i've never laid eyes on a turkey that was anywhere near the size of that one i mean it was just uh it was just a behemoth. I mean, just a really big bird. And I took one look at it when I saw it. And I was like, "Man, that's a big one." And uh, fortunately, I had um, I had scales and was able to uh, to weigh him and did some measurements. And twenty, it was over twenty seven. Wasn't it? it was a little bit more than twenty seven pounds. Yeah, yeah. And uh, don't get me wrong, I, I absolutely love this turkey hunt. I've, this is only my let's see, my fourth season. It's my fifth bird. Uh, Super excited to, to have the opportunity to, to have as many awesome hunts as what I've had. That one was as challenging a hunt as I think I've had from a calling perspective. Uh, last year in Indiana, I, I killed a, a really – it was my biggest bird up until this one um, by basically pitting two gobblers against one another that were on opposite sides of me. 
which was a really fun experience, but completely different than this one in which I essentially played chess with him for an hour and a half, but to, to be rewarded at the end of that hunt with a, a very mature bird, I, I don't know how to age a turkey. I, I, I don't know that I even want to know how to age a turkey, but you're pretty confident that was a three- or a four-year-old bird, right? I mean... Oh, yeah, at least. It definitely, I mean, it's an uh, inch-and-a-half spur or inch-and-a-quarter. I can't remember what the spur length was, but just a giant bird, man. I mean, it's uh, – tell you, folks, just to, to get an idea uh, of how big this bird was, we laid it out after we, we took some pictures. We laid this sucker out, and head to foot, it stretched the entire length of your truck bed. I mean, it was width, width, width of of the truck, truck bed. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, width. Yeah, from side to side. You know, right to left, whatever you want to call it. But um, just a giant bird uh, all the way around, and and uh, a lot of guys will hunt their entire lives and never kill a bird that big. And I'm probably one of them. But uh, you did a, you know, and just the fact that you were able to call that bird in for so, you know, so far away, and and took so long to get him there. It's really a testament to how well you played the situation. And, you know, every bird's different. You know, some turkeys, they want, you know, you got to talk to them really aggressively and often. And uh, some of them, you got to shut up and not say anything to them. And some of them, you got to just coax them a little bit. And, and it, it's like, a, it's, it's kind of like a dance. You're dancing with them, and you got to f- figure out, you know, what is what is he like? Does he does he want to you know does he want to dance to rock and roll, or does he want a slow country <laughs> dance, or you know, or does he just want to sit in the corner and talk? You know, I you got to figure him out. And you did a good job on that bird because that was uh, that's no easy feat there. Well, and I, and I don't savvy myself a good caller. Uh, I, I'm much better with a pot call than I am a mouth call. I, I am getting better with the mouth calls, but I, I'm not near to the level that you're at. Uh, and and far from competition ready, but I, I just kind of stuck with what I was good at. I, I'm I'm pretty good at the soft purrs and a basic yelp, and and you know I can do a couple little aggressive yelps or cackles and things, but I I didn't feel like those were the right thing to use. So I essentially alternated volumes between two to three different types of call, and I never really strayed from that. Uh, and, and you know there were times where you're questioning yourself because this went on for an hour and a half. And we've got text messages to prove it because I essentially just updated you to his location. And I, I don't think he went any longer than maybe 10 to 12 minutes without saying something. And, you know, he traveled a long distance when he would do that. But I had to pee the entire time. I mean, the entire time. Because <laughs> I had big plans of after I had everything set up before I made my first call of the afternoon to go ahead and, and take a leak out of the back of the blind. And I never got a chance to do that. And so, you know... I, I always shake when I have a, an opportunity to harvest something for a million different reasons. And that one, I mean, you add the having to pee on top of it. And, you know, I'm I'm lucky I didn't end up just, you know, kind of going in my drawers there. Yeah, I tell you what, man, it'd be completely understandable if you did. Big bird, <laughs> and that was, a, that was a great, closed out your season, really. But that was a, a great, uh, you had a great year. I, it turned out to be a pretty great year, I have to admit. And, uh, you know, I was I was excited, too, because the, the bass fishing was really good for a couple of days after that, and I was looking out knowing that, and I thought, oh, man, I don't know that we have enough birds for me to go over there and, and chase uh, another one because essentially that, that was three birds we took off of the property, and 
and we really didn't have three birds. We, we called three birds off of the neighbors. So to me, I didn't feel the need to go and, and fill another tag. Uh, the wife and I had plenty of uh, turkey nuggets, and we were good to go on that. But it was your turn to fill your Indiana tag, and that was a circus. Well, yeah, but before I even did that, uh, was able to get Savannah out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, she she's never killed a turkey. Um, hunted very little in the spring. I think maybe one, once or twice last year. Uh, but due to her work schedule, she could only get out uh, basically on the weekend. So her first day that she was able to go, um, you know, I took her hunting and uh, – Wow, I, I, we've got a turkey hunter for life on our hands there with her now because uh, she killed a really, really nice bird. He, um, one of those things where he wasn't roosted really close to us, but when he, you know, he was close enough that we did call a little bit. Elected not to put any decoys out on this hunt just because of the way that we had been. Uh, it was later in the season, and the way the birds were responding to decoys was negatively. I mean, they. They would take a look at a decoy and go the other way. It's pretty much the experience that we were all having at that time. and So we didn't put any decoys out. Um, we were just patient, and we were waiting these birds out. Well, he was out strutting with a hen, and it was fairly early. I mean, it was 8, 8.15, something like that maybe. And we look over in the field, and we see him there, and he's breeding the hen. So... I get on him, you know, with, with the camera, and I'm filming him. And as soon as he's done breeding that hen, she just shagged out of there. I mean, she she didn't want any more more to do with him. And I knew that right then was our opportunity. So um, I started with some uh, some soft yelps. It was a little bit windy, so I had to just kind of gauge the uh, volume of it. And I got a little bit louder and a little more aggressive till I could tell he heard me. And then once he heard me. I knew it was on. I mean, he was coming on a string. And uh, it was a little bit of a circus inside the blind. We had to move the chairs around a couple different times and close some windows and open up other windows and, and that kind of thing. But um, I give it to Savannah. She She's an excellent shot, much, much better than I am. And uh, uh was able to call that bird into I don't even know how exactly the, the distance uh, because it was one of those deals where he was about to clear the blind and get in a position where we couldn't film it and she couldn't shoot it. So I told her, I said, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I said, go ahead, and if you could take the shot, take it. And, man, as soon as he put his head up, she just dusted him right there. And it was uh, just a, you know, one of those beautiful days. The the sky was perfect. Everything just, just worked out beautifully. And, and was able to take uh, a picture of that bird afterwards with her that um, is probably, it's got to be right up there, if not my favorite picture that I've ever taken in the outdoors. It's definitely in the top two or three. And it was one of those that was so so picture-perfect and beautiful that uh, we went and had some canvases made of those uh, that picture and gave it to uh, gave it to our moms for Mother's Day. And, uh, you know, just a, a tremendous hunt there. So... That's awesome. Um, I didn't know about the canvases. Yeah. That's a good touch. Yeah, it was. It, of course, it was her idea. I can't, I can't take credit for any of that kind of stuff. She's the thoughtful one. I'm just the, uh, I'm just the guy that goes along with everything. So, uh, but you know, that left me with a tag in my pocket. Still, I'm still in Indiana hunting every day. Um, you know, every day that I wasn't filming somebody, I was hunting by myself and trying to get it done. And 
man, I screwed up every which way you could. Um, I don't know if screw up is, is the right word, but it just wasn't coming together. And uh, I finally, it was, uh, I think, on the Thursday before the end of season, I was sitting in a blind there on a piece of property, and I decided, you know, if I'm going to get this done, I'm going to have to run and gun to do it. I'm, you know, these birds are not coming into the uh, the clover plots at that time. The uh, I'd already boogered a couple of them up out of it, and I knew they wasn't going to be back. So I decided to, um, even though the you know the the chances of when you're running and gunning, it you can be pretty successful when you're just doing it by yourself. When you add you add in the fact that you're trying to film it, you've got a camera with a tripod, and you're trying to stay concealed and call in a bird. Man, it's it's just next to impossible. So I didn't like my chances necessarily, but I felt like it was the only opportunity I had. So that's exactly what I did. The um, the birds that were gobbling early in the morning, they were they were back in the back of the property. So I basically just uh, slipped out and went back there and got set up in a position where I felt like that was close to where they were at. And I didn't I didn't make any calls for probably 30, 45 minutes. I just wanted to sit there and just kind of see what was going on around me, get a feel for for the area. And finally, I just started with um, sort of real light. I started with just scratching in some leaves, um, scratching in the leaves a little bit, and then I started just a couple little soft yelps, just real soft, two or three yelps. And all of a sudden, a hen fired up just maybe 75 yards from me. She just started yelping back, which I felt good about because I thought, well, if that bird's yelping and I've made a little bit of noise here, if there's a bird in the area, a long beard, he's probably going to hear that, and it might just fire him up. This was uh, this was later in the day. This was probably between noon and 1. And a little bit later, the hen just showed up out in the clearing where I could see her. And I'd sent you a text. I'm, I think I lied to you or something is what I said, or uh, I lied or whatever. But you knew exactly what I was talking about because you and I had had a conversation before about uh, shooting a bearded hen. And I'd said, I don't think I want to do that. Uh, from the conservation perspective of it, essentially, if that hen has a nest already, you know, you're killing not only that hen, but you're killing those birds that are in that nest as well, even though they have a very low uh, percentage of survival anyway. So I, I was thinking, I'm going to shoot that bearded hen. It had a very long beard on it. And as I was getting ready to draw a bead on that hen, I heard a gobble. So I thought, wait a minute, could it be? And it was. A bird was, uh, you know, heard both of us and he was coming in. So I did a couple more soft yelps and he was getting closer and closer. And all of a sudden, I saw him appear. Um, he was, and he was within range when he appeared. But it was one of those deals where I couldn't move. Uh, gun wasn't up and ready. I had to get the camera on him, and he was coming in pretty quick. He was uh, stopping every once in a while to strut and gobble, and he would come forward. And by the time I was able to get the camera on him, and he went behind a tree, and I was able to get the gun up. He was tight, like 15 yards, 10 to 15 yards tight. Well, in Dave Barrett fashion, um, I shot and missed. And with one big, uh, 
one big uh, wing sweep of the bird, he is literally almost in my lap. I mean, he comes through so close that I probably would have been much better off if I would have just taken the gun and just hit him in the head with the gun, the butt of the gun. <laughs> but I tried a second shot as he was running by, and uh, <laughs> his head was – I'm literally maybe two feet from the camera when he runs through and I'm missing a second shot and he was gone. And I'm thinking all is lost there. And I look up and my friend, the bearded hen is still out in the field there. So in that clearing, um, so I, I went ahead and pulled up on her and I shot her and, and, uh, tagged out there in Indiana, but it was, uh, you know, pretty proud of the hunt from the fact that I was able to have so much activity there with the, you know, with the camera and uh, the gun, but, uh, really wish I'd have killed the long beard, but you know, two clean misses on him. Well, I, that's all you can ask for in a miss is that you don't clip one. And <laughs> man, it, it what a crazy couple seasons you've had on on that front. Uh, I mean, I can't say anything because I shot through my own blind, shot a hole in my own blind, so I, I've got no leg to stand on there. But it, it's been a, a weird couple years. I think you have to be due for some good luck. Well, you know, and I, I'll tell you, it started back in 2017, actually, and I had I had been many years. I'm not going to say I hadn't missed a bird prior to 2017, but I had been many, many years without any misses. And, and I was hunting with Eric, and I think this goes all the way back to season one of In a Strut. Um, I think the uh, name of the episode was Strike Three, but Eric missed a bird three times. And I gave him so much crap over that. I mean, I really did. I, I gave him so much crap. And ever since then, I have had the yips shooting at turkeys like you wouldn't believe. I am just, I don't know what it is about me, but I, I'm just, I'm shooting about 40% maybe, something like that. It's just not good. And, uh, you know, I deserve that. And, you know, you think about it, JP, karma strikes big time because, it was just uh, opening day uh, last year that we peer pressured Eric into shooting his bird over there in Kentucky. Yep. You know, the whole two birds deal. I mean, we're two birds, you get two birds. I mean, we're chanting in his ear to shoot mm-hmm. this bird, and uh, and he did. So, And it comes back the next year, and I shoot two birds with one shot inadvertently. Uh, it, it's amazing how this world comes full circle sometimes on you. But, you know, at the end of the day, it ended up being a, a pretty incredibly successful season uh, for the, the Innistrut footage. I mean, we, we ended up getting a lot of great stuff on film, and you know, we're, we'll have some outtakes with the misses. Uh, we, we've got the GoPro footage of me not getting the barrel up high enough and shooting through the blind, and uh, it's it's going to be an entertaining entertaining uh, season next year for everybody to check out and, and get amped up as they head into their turkey seasons. And, and Dave Highsmith who's kind of like a satellite uh, filming operation for us, actually shot two turkeys with his bow down in the Nashville, Tennessee area, and we're going to have that footage to use as well. And, uh, I mean, he, he shot a couple really nice birds down there. It's It was an incredibly successful year for us on the whole, even though it, it went through some trials and tribulations on the way. Yeah, season four for uh, In a Rut and In a Stretch shaping up to be a really good one, and if you haven't seen in, uh, season three yet, I, I'd encourage you to go to Carbon TV and check out In a Rut. Um, season three is on there, and 
so far, you know, it's all turkey episodes, but here in the next, uh, I don't know, six weeks or so, we're going to start throwing an episode every uh, week or two down uh, with deer hunting as well and kind of getting you ready for that season. But um, we've uh, we've been incredibly uh, fortunate to have uh, the turkey success and lack of success in the last couple of years, but we've had a lot of encounters and a lot of fun encounters and some really good hunts with a lot of folks and just really look forward to sharing those. Absolutely. And you know, some of the, the deer stuff that we're using, we, we did not publish an inner rut deer hunting season last year in 2019. And, and we've banked some of the good stuff from 2018, uh, I think it's going to be really good. I, there, there's a lot of really good content in there that I think we're, we're pretty excited to share and uh, hope, hope you guys enjoy it as well. And obviously we've got food plot stuff coming up right around the corner and that's what the next podcast episode is going to be about is getting some spring food plots in the ground and what our strategy is going to be. And, and got to give credit to you right now for anybody that may want to listen to that episode. You came up with a, a bit of an out-of-the-box idea for our property in Kentucky, and, and I won't spoil what that idea was, but I'm looking forward to making that happen over there. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. I went over and uh, it's it's been sprayed already. All the uh, all the food plots and uh, preparation for the uh, the the giant miscanthus has been sprayed already. We're just waiting for it to die off. So here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to start some planning and. Uh, planting, I should say. The planting is done. We're doing the planting now. Um, but, uh, you know, it never ends. The uh, This cycle, this, this uh, crazy, wonderful world of the outdoors that we all love so much, it never stops. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Um, right now, while we're recording this podcast, you're, you're at home in the studio there, and I'm sitting here on the banks of... Uh, of our lease in this uh, beautiful watershed. So as soon as we hang up, I'm going out here to try to sore lip a couple largemouth. Well, man, save some for me because I might be headed out there tomorrow night. Well, bring it on, buddy. Let's get it. Till next time, hook them or hunt them. Later, guys. Pro Talk Outdoors. All right. <laughs> we screwed that up, too. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs>